Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Matt Bennett. I'm alcoholic. Just as I suspected. Um, I'm Matt Hawk. My sobriety date's uh, November 16, 2002. My home group is the Poor Fishington Speaker Group. We meet in Philadelphia, uh, Monday nights at 7.30 at Trenton and Cumberland. Not like you'll ever remember that, but if you ever come through Philadelphia, uh, grab my number. If you feel like coming out to a good meeting, uh, hit us up. Um, David, thank you for coming picking us up. I found out some interesting stuff about Alabama on the ride down here. <laughs> yeah. uh, we went, we uh, flew into Tennessee, so it was like, oh, on your left here, if you go that way, you go towards the uh, Jack Daniels <laughs> distillery. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know if Larry ever told you, uh, over that way is a thing they call Meth Mountain. <laughs> My God, you... It's a good thing I'm coming right in time for you guys. No, um, <laughs> God bless you. Um, no, it is an honor to, to be asked to do anything for uh, any subsect of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I do qualify, I guess, uh, I, for at least another month or so. I turn 30 here coming up at the end of September, so I'll age out here shortly. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> At least I'm hoping. Uh, no, man, it's it is an honor. I, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, the fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous, the program, is by far and easily uh, the single most influential thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, without Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm. Fairly certain I wouldn't be standing here. Uh, well, I certainly wouldn't be standing here, but uh, I certainly wouldn't be. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'd be the variety that doesn't make it to uh, 29. Uh, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't be living the life that I am now. Um, it's, uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and the guys that I end up running with uh, towards the end of my drinking – um, although at the time I couldn't identify them as being a lot like me, we were not like a good, you know, I mean, like we were not a healthy crew. Um, I was talking about this the other night that, uh, you know, those la- that last month or so I was, I was drinking with some guys that I didn't really hang out with too much. I just sort of got in there and got out. And uh, one of the guys that I was sitting there drinking, like, you know, a couple years later ended up uh, inadvertently killing his toddler. Um, from feeding him, you know, methadone and sleeping pills in his Gatorade. Um, he, just like a week and a half ago, a kid that I grew up with that I uh, that I sponsored for a short amount of time in South Florida, he he overdosed, and uh, and his <laughs> it's a uh, strange enough like the damage that we can see that we can do to people is because his mother didn't even have it in her to uh, be able to throw a service for her son. Because of the damage he did. 
And, you know, Mark asked me about it the other day. Have you ever done that? Like right off, boom, 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 right off the top of my head. I was like, yeah, three people that I've sponsored have, have died. Like, um, and that was just off the top of my head. And like the reason I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but to me, like every once in a while I get these like sort of reminders that, cause I end up living in this like cerebral world. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm almost 10 years old, so, so, um, I don't see things exactly the same way I did when I got in. You know, I, uh, I tend to, to look at, you know, the obsession to drink has been gone for a long time and I tend to look at things a lot different ways. But every once in a while something happens when I get reminded that what I have for whatever reason, whether it be a predisposition or, uh, or just the fact that I drank like a pig, um, what I have is a chronic and fatal condition. Um, that left untreated, uh, I w- would have never obviously gotten sober, but left untreated, it's, uh, there's nothing to say that I don't find myself in desperate, in desperate ways later on. Um, and I don't say that it's like some sort of like, you know, sh- rattle your cage if you're a newcomer. Um, because what treating alcoholism does, at least it has for me and for, for a lot of the things that I've seen, is that it offers it, op- it it opens up something on the inside and offers a way of life that wouldn't have ever been capable even if I if I wasn't alcoholic. Um, but that being said, is that it is it is a serious condition and um, and so I wasn't always alcoholic. Uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, like about forty minutes out forty minute far forty minutes west of Philly in a little town called Malvern. It's very you know, it's very white bread. It's very suburban. Nothing, nothing exciting or sexy going on out there in Malvern. It's, uh, it's middle class. Uh, just about, you know, like right, right in there, middle class. We weren't necessarily raised in a middle class, uh, household. We, we fell somewhere below that, uh, which I, you know, probably made a lot bigger deal than it was. But, uh, but we were fine. It wasn't like we never had, you know, no, we never didn't have. You know, I always had clothes on me that were appropriate for the season. <laughs> I always had uh, food that was in the refrigerator that I liked. Um, my father always spent time with me. My mother was doing the best she could to be a mother. Uh, you know, I had two older sisters that, you know, were good to their little brother. And yet, there was at certain times uh, that if you had asked me what, it was like for me, I would have said, this is, this is the pits. No one loves me. Um, I probably wouldn't have said this is the pits, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and I don't know. I, th- I think that alcoholism at, for me at its core, uh, there, there's a couple characteristics that I think differentiate me from 90% at least of the, the rest of the population. One is that when I start drinking, I lose the control. I lose control of how much I take. And, and I do think that separates me from, uh, everyone else. Um, but I don't really think there's anything I can do about that other than not drinking. However, in there lies, lies the problem because I don't, uh, on my best day, know how to stay sober. Uh, on my, of, of and by myself, on my own power, on my own will, i.e. my own thinking, I don't stay sober. I don't stay sober today, uh, nine, you know, in some years change sober. I don't stay sober on my, uh, on my own accord or my own power today. Just like I didn't get sober on day one. Um, so, and I, and I was blessed to know that. So, but I, but I think for me, um, what I'm trying to get out here is that at the core of why I ended up 
drinking to a point where I developed a physical allergy and a mental obsession is because I have a deep, deep, un, unsolved discontentment. It's probably the best word I know how to, to use uh, describe it. Um, when I was growing up, uh, it took hold pretty early. Now, I, like I said, we came from a lower, you know, like middle lower class family. And what I started immediately seeing because of this discontent inside me, I start, I start seeing the world through the eyes of that discontent. And what I see is we don't have enough. Um, if I only had this, they don't love me. And I experience life through a whole complete sense of lack. Like there's not enough. Um, and the one that really stuck with me, uh, was, you know, we, we didn't have enough money. Uh, for some reason, that one said it's hooking me pretty good. Uh, this discontentment, the, the, the literature uh, uses words like restlessness, irritability, discontentment. The, the one uh, kid was talking about page 54 and the bedevilments, uh, about not being able to manage my own life. I can't make a living. I, I'm an emotional mess. All uh, prey to misery and depression. That's what my life looks like clearly from the outside looking in and the inside looking out uh, before I ever drink. Um, I go through elementary school, you know, anger starting to build in me. My family's, you know, we're at odds with each other. It's a typical American family, um, especially now. Um, and so I go into middle school, and I have this perspective that, like, oh, okay, this is going to be great. Now I'm going to be, uh, I don't know if anybody else had this or even remembers that far back, but I'm going to be Mr. Popular. Uh, and I was, I remember being, uh, Incredibly, like, disillusioned the fact that, like, nobody seemed to know that I existed. Um, and I started immediately trying to, 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 to make noise in order to try to get some sort of attention. You know, somebody please acknowledge that I exist. Um, right around first day of sixth grade, we're in gym class. My name is Matt Hugh. Uh, it's one word. Hugh's the family name. It's a long story, not that interesting. But first, first day, we're in gym class. You go, Matt, Hugh, uh, Justin Alexander uh, leans over to me and goes, tell her your name's Huey. Uh, here, but you can call me Huey. I, I was Huey until the day I got sober and moved to, until I went into rehab. Um, I was, I don't know. I mean, it's, there's occasionally one person that may call me that still. Um, I was already dying from the inside out. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, being called Huey didn't solve my problems <laughs> because uh, <laughs> because a couple, maybe like a couple months later, beginning of sixth grade, uh, misery, depression, inability to feel like I fit in with anyone, like able to link up and, and really have anyone know what it was like being with me um, that was, that's, I don't know about you, but maybe I can go through a day or two like that. But if you're an alcoholic like me, like, that thing, that impending lack goes with you everywhere you go. You know, it's like, if I go to the store, or if I'm with my family, or, you know, I'm trying to coerce someone in, you know, <laughs> into being a relationship with me, or I'm at work, or, you know, whatever it is, it's like you can't shake it. Um, a couple months later, not being able to live with that anymore, I took an attempt on my own life, um, not in any sort of hanging from the rafters kind of way, uh, but more in a let me write a suicide note uh, and start eating a bunch of Tylenol when my mom pulls into the driveway kind of way. Uh, 
I'm not really sure in retrospect whether it was a legitimate attempt, but, you know, hindsight's 2020. And um, I just needed, you know, like I didn't know. Pride kept me from being able to say I, I'm in a bad way and I don't know what's wrong with me. And um, and those were, you know, the next couple of years were some horrible years of my life. They put me in therapy, family therapy, personal therapy. Uh, all I know is that I slept a lot on people's couches and didn't really talk to anyone. That's how I dealt with it. Um, fortunately for me, I was I was saved by alcohol. Uh, I was uh, I tr- tried drinking once, like in passing, in sometime at the end of um, or maybe the beginning of middle school. It didn't take. Uh, but the next time I drank, it did take. It was a couple years later, I believe. It was the between the summer of eighth and ninth grade. And it's like a watershed moment for me in my life. Um, I I got saved by a guy. Uh, we used to, I don't know. I doubt it was his real name. We used to refer to him as Bill Schwag. Uh, <laughs> Bill because his name was Bill. You know I you know you can figure it out. And uh, anyway, so Bill Schwag. Uh, you know we got ourselves a bottle, and uh, he was he got us the bottle. We were a bit underage at the time, and I remember the first time that I drank and. Um, what I didn't know what was had been running my life went away. Uh, I, we drank, you know, I've, we've taken off like just maybe the head of the bottle. Uh, the, my shoulders have already dropped and the thing has opened up inside of my stomach. And I feel, uh, feel like myself for the first time. And, um, and I'm looking at, I, all I remember is like looking at this bottle and having this thing be almost entirely full and I'm feeling like money. And, uh, and I just remember, I guess the best way to describe it is feeling safe, feeling secure. Um, I just really remember, like, it made an impact on me. And if you had said, like, Matt, what are you feeling right now? I would have been like, you know, but, (laughs) but it left a, you know, left such a mark on, you know, perhaps it was subconscious, I don't know, but it left such a mark that any time that, uh, that I started drink, I mean, I became a, a daily drinker. Uh, multiple time a drinker, you know, pretty quick. Within a couple weeks, I was drinking every day, multiple times a day. You know, I don't understand binge drinkers. Bin, you know, unless you're binging all day, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I remember uh, related with what a uh, guy was saying about like, oh, you know, we we go from liking it to drinking every day before school, um, and then it's you know, it's the bottles in the clear plastic ones, and it's. You know, selling liquor out of your out of your locker, and um, and I do want to talk about uh, a little bit for me because this is my story, and you know, here I am. <laughs> it's mine. Um, alcohol, for lack of a better word, em- empowered me. It because it took away, you know, all this self doubt, uh, insecurity. You know, neuroses, constant chatter, uh, feelings of inadequacy, like all those things that I didn't really know uh, were what made me try to take an attempt on my own life in the first place. It took those away so that now I could act how I thought I could act. Now, without going into uh, every gory detail of the next eight years, I can pretty much summarize what that looked like. Picture half-Jewish Scarface from the suburbs. Uh, that's that's pretty much what I was wrong with, except for weed. And uh, it was very safe. But, uh, you know, like those ideas that I believe 
that I was sold early on and on a daily basis am sold by, you know, to be honest with you, society at large, like that when I have enough uh, secure financial security, when the, the love of a good woman, uh, a ch- maybe a small child, uh, the applause of, you know, my family or society, once I have those things, then that disre- you know, that, that eternal craziness that I have, once I attain those things, then that'll go away. Now, now that I'm drunk, I can, I got some power in my life and I went after those full force. I am, um, I was, I guess I was reading it this, uh, last night. It totally hit me right on the head. I am a, uh, I am the personality type of the achiever. Uh, I am slow and steady wins the race, but I will go at something relentlessly for years. I mean, it's disturbing. I, uh, I started, um, with a part-time paycheck from Atlanta Bread Company, and uh, and eight years later, I'm you know of course you know wasted at the time, but I've got a, a, a safe in the bedroom that is enough to buy college education and a, and a decent car, just from being incredibly incessant and like repetitive, and and that's what I mean. I feel like alcohol did for me. It was like it allowed me to have this power to go and do what I thought I needed to do. Did I take a hostage? Hell yeah, I took a hostage. Did I get paid? Hell yeah, I got paid. Uh, <laughs> uh, did I have the applause of my peers? Of course. Now, did the, the quality of my peers decrease? Possibly. Uh, there actually was like one or two decent kids in there that I'm still friends with today. Um, they were the exception. But, like I said, like I, you know, that's important. That's what I go after. Um, the problem is, is that all of that, I'm, I'm, I'm being powered by a false sense of, uh, of power, which is what booze is. It's a, uh, uh, a spirit, you know, uh, uh, Carl Jung talked about it in one of his letters in Language of the Heart, a, a spiritist. It's, uh, spirit is where the word alcohol comes from. It's like a false power, like a breath, like a charge that's in me. So I'm being powered by a fake, Power, going after ideas that are just madness, thinking that that's going to fix everything. I mean, if you want to talk about land of delusion, the only thing missing in this land of delusion were like dinosaurs walking forward. Like that's how crazy my my life was. But I, but just like the big book says, is that when you start to like when I start doing that, you know, in a very short amount of time, my life seems like the only normal one. Um, I'm saying in those eight years of day in, day out drinking. I can remember one time for maybe like a minute and a half in that whole time where this thought ran through my head of maybe this isn't the best way to be going about things. I didn't, I personally was, uh, did not contemplate, you know, should I be drinking like this? I was, I was on a, on a freight train. You know what I mean? My eyes were like this. I did what anybody else would do. Just as it natural it would be for my, my siblings to go and eat and drink and find shelter and get a good job and do all these natural things. I had all that, but except for the fact that I needed to drink. And it didn't occur to me that that maybe was off. Um, so the problem is, is that my power runs out because it's, it's a poison. <laughs> it kills people. Um, normal people take it in. 
you know, through the liver, out the kidneys, they go, oh, that's bad, let me slow down. I have a, a body that says, takes it in, goes through the liver, and goes, oh, that feels right. Um, but at some point, man, there I don't know why, there wasn't enough booze on the East Coast to solve my big hurt. Um, I start, I stopped drinking to, like, get through and get by and, like, just do enough to not be crazy or sick or whatever, just to be right. Um, I, I felt somewhere in there, towards the end, I start drinking to black out. Uh, to like shut it down. Um, for me, it ended in a she left kind of situation. <laughs> um, and that was like my, my world was being held together by a bunch of BS. Um, and my dependence on her was a big one. And she left. And, uh, and to this day, I remember her leaving. And I had nothing. Um, I don't know how to describe it other than like a little kid like, reaching for a baby blanket or something like that. I, I did everything I could to try to, that I knew how to do in order to try to fix me, and none of it worked. Uh, she left, so I had to refurnish everything. Uh, I bought some horribly expensive and tacky stuff, and I bought enough of it that it should make you feel okay. It'd be like, okay, and then gone. You know what I mean? Like, and the depression would sit back in. Um, that was the only time in my lifetime where I, exhibited some behavior, personal behavior, guys, uh, that I'm not necessarily, like, a huge fan of uh, to try to, like, solve my hurt, and it wouldn't work. Uh, but the one thing I do know uh, that got stamped into me that day that I was looking at that bottle is that the one thing that does work is drinking. Um, and if you were to trend my drinking in those last three months, I swear to God, that stuff would have, that, that would have gone up like fivefold. And I just, you know, I'm waking up, uh, waking up in the mid-afternoon, sheets are soaked and, and, um, I'm sweating my brains out and I can't stop it. Um, my, my final days were me sitting alone in an apartment, uh, drinking to oblivion, watching the first season of Sopranos on DVD. I mean, that was, it was, it was a dark place. If you knew the town I was in, it, you would go, oh, um, it was, it was shuddering cold. Um, and so I hit a spot like uh, of no choice of my own where the one thing that I'd always used to solve me, um, I realized was killing me. And then when I tried to stop, I couldn't. And I've had some pretty, painful moments in the last, you know, close to 10 years, but I can't think of any that were more painful uh, and horrifying than the, the realization that I'm going to die. Um, and I don't want to, but I'm killing myself. And I don't know how, you know, a, a lot of that stuff is very, it's a very uh, dark area mainly because I was bombed. But also, it was like, dude, it was almost 10 years ago. You know, so like the details of everything that happened are a little bit fuzzy with me. And, and I'm convinced if I didn't work with others, I'd probably remember even less of it. But I ended up in a treatment center way outside of Philadelphia in uh, the mushroom capital of the United States, a place called Kennett Square. Um, <laughs> you remember. Uh, it's outside of Westchester. It uh, smells like... If anybody knows how mushrooms are grown, they're grown in feces. So, as you can imagine, it's a great place to kick. Um, it's like hell on earth. Well, it really felt like that. And uh, I ended up going to, after 30 days or so, 
um, through some experience, through some events that happened while I was there, I decided to go to, uh, like I decided to go to South Florida. I went to South Florida because my options were running out. Um, my employer and a couple of my employees got rounded up and, uh, and the state police never showed up at the rehab to, to ask for my attention. So it seemed like I should probably go to Florida. Uh, I had a friend, uh, who wasn't really a friend. He was, you know, associate or whatever. He overdosed and died, but the timing of it got my attention because I knew this kid was just like me. Um, I was 20, so kids were just starting to die. So I came to South Florida with, uh, to be quite honest with you, almost everything about me was the same with the exception of the fact that I knew that I couldn't solve my drink problem. That was it. Um, and Alcoholics Anonymous took me in with open arms. Um, a lot of the subject today has been about service. I got involved in a home group immediately, you know, doing coffee, setting up chairs, uh, shutting down chairs, doing everything that good AAers show new AAers how to do. And uh, I got a sponsor who started picking me up from the halfway house uh, almost immediately and started spending his time with me. Um, we started getting into him, you know, him trying, him passing on what he had to share with me. Um, and I've got to be honest with you, like things got better for me over that first year uh, because I would, and we were talking about this in a meeting last night, is that, you know, somewhere in our literature, Bill later writes about uh, that humility is the, the the touchstone of all of our twelve steps. Um, and early on, or a couple years later, when I, when I got with my sponsor, he said something to the effect of that humility is the the acknowledgement that you know the, the personal acknowledgement that I know in my heart that I need God and I need other people. And because I was in such a way, I had that for certain. I mean, I knew I was a, a young man who had a death sentence, so I came with uh, I came here like a beggar, you know, looking for help. So um, a year later. I don't know if any of you guys can uh, take a guess about where I'm at a year later. You know, the, the rebuilding of the alcoholic ego does not take a long time. I came in a dying boy with no, uh, no, nothing going for me, having just burned his life to the ground. And a year later, I'm uh, thinking about making a run at mayor of AA. You know, like, I didn't even know Larry yet. He would have been my chair, my, uh, the guy helping me run, but, uh, it was, it was bad, man. Like all, for me, all that I have to do in order to get myself in a really tough spot here in AA is to get real savvy with the big book, um, is to get uh, in with the people who are intense in the the, the literature studies, um, to win the win over the the stamp of approval of the people who are active. Um, I did all those things. However, I never really took the 12 steps that are outlined in the big book, which, as you can imagine, created quite a uh, quite an issue for me. Um, I don't knock, you know, like I said, AA brought me in with open arms. Um, and I'm just here to try to tell, you know, my experience as I see it today um, is that the, the man that would pick me up, day, you know, every week, he passed on to me exactly what he had. Um, what I interpreted it as that was was, that the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the program, are there in order to treat uh, my drinking problem. 
that by inviting God into my life in order to keep me away from the drink, uh, that's what the 12 steps are about. You know, the removal of these shortcomings because I was drinking and cleaning up the harms because I was drinking and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and But what happened was is that, like, I just became, I that didn't fit me anymore. And I guess uh, there kind of comes to, you know, what I, what I believe, at least for what it's worth, is that alcoholism, which sounds an awful lot like an alcohol problem, but resides as like that deep discontentment. Alcoholism is a living problem. Um, the 12 steps introduce me in, into a way of life and, and a sixth sense that is a, that is a living answer. Um, that's why when I try to come up here and talk from the podium whenever I'm asked to do it, is that like I hope that I, you know I got to tell you about what it was like in the past and what my early experiences in AA are like. But I also have to tell you what my, you know, be able to to tap into what my current experience with the steps are. What's my current experience with that power that we call God. Um, And I can, I can tell you today that, that I do that. (laughs) Um, What happened for me is that, you know, I just became a pain in the ass. Um, I, I, what's her name was saying? Like, I love, you know, she loves the traditions. If it wasn't for the traditions, I wouldn't be here. You guys would have ran me out in that next year or so because I was like the biggest maniac in AA. I was the guy toting around the big book, but like living completely off the off the page as far as like a spiritual guidance. Um, and it just didn't work. I got 12-stepped, if you will, um, through the power of attraction, um, not through someone trying to like t- – fast talk me after a meeting like a salesman, uh, what the guy did was quietly start showing up in my home group and you could just tell that he lived a way that was different from me. He talked, um, he was quite different from my first sponsor. My first sponsor was a uh, black Mercedes driving uh, commodities dealer. This guy was uh, like this, never wore any shoes, came from uh, York, PA, which is like the total like industrial town, like post, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing going on out there. Total blue collar, like, but this way about him that he wasn't trying to sell me anything. And I personally think that that's like, you know, if you want to get through to me, the best way to do that is to not try to like sell me anything. The best way is just to be yourself. And that's what he did. And because of that, I couldn't poke any holes in what he was doing. Uh, he talked about taking an inventory when he was finishing detox and doing his fifth step when he got out of rehab, making some amends, and then coming to Florida. Um, and I knew enough about the studying of the literature that I knew at that point that my experience with the 12 steps wasn't really what the big book was talking about. I knew from like this historical perspective that people back in the day used to take the 12 steps in a rapid succession because it was – all they knew how to do. They weren't like, they didn't write the big book and then give it a shot. They adopted principles from other fellowships, from their own way of life, and stumbled upon, stumbled upon a, a practical way of living that expelled the obsession to drink and opened them up to, to, to the realization that God is. And so, and then they wrote the book. So, I got the point that it was like supposed to be boom in the action, and uh, and so this guy had my ear, and um, I started working with him, and I can tell you that uh, 
I sort of look at him like my Ebby Thatcher. I don't know if the, the history of AA is like Ebby Thatcher is, you know, who Bill considered one of his sponsors until the day he died. Ebby Thatcher, I don't believe, got any ever more than any like three years of sobriety his whole life. I think he died with about three years of sobriety. This guy's like my Ebby Thatcher. Um, he introduced me to the, to the program of action in the big book. And he started with this emphasis about one alcoholic sharing with another. We, we, look, we looked at the big book. Um, you know, we touched on some of the stuff and more about alcoholism. But what he emphasized that I had never really heard before was that alcoholics get recovered on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Alcoholics get recovered in pairs. Um, <laughs> the number one cause of relapse is sobriety. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, the... Drink, uh, an answer to the drinking problem, what else do you say? An answer to drink, a drinking problem is sobriety. An answer to sobriety is recovery. Um, so he started changing my, the, the view for me that, that there's a way of life that when this is done opens up to something that I don't necessarily have. Um, and he did, man, and that's, that guy, uh, I, I still keep contact with him loosely. He's in, uh, York, PA again after in and out of jails. And he's up there living his life, but without that man, I wouldn't be who I am standing here today. Uh, he linked me up once he drank. I, I got linked up with my sponsor, uh, who he was connected with, and um, and it was really just what try to try to keep this in. Uh, I only have like 15 minutes. What that guy did was emphasize the fact that um, what I was looking for could be best be found through service to others. And I liked hearing about um, what you were talking about as far as, like, your experience with, um, like, being up in Tiki Pa and, like, seeing this fellowship that we crave and, like, how awesome this is and then being like, well, why don't we have that down here? Like, this is something that I, that, like, when you, you're around it, you go, this is, this is something that, like, resonates with me. Um, and that's what I had. Like, I had this spiritual awakening that was speaking to me in a language which I did not hear in my own neighborhood. And so I had a very similar situation that you did was like uh, my the, the sponsorship sort of, I hate using the term lineage because it's really such an insane sort of language, but uh, my grand sponsor was from uh, Baltimore. Um, and, you know, they were, you know, Baltimore, York kind of thing. And, and so I was like, oh, this is so great, um, but we don't have anything like that. So years later, um, as a thing like is a absolutely like what I would you know hope for for like it's it's an experience. I guess what I'm trying to say is an experience that it shouldn't be missed. Um, but the reason that it happened, uh, in my experience, was uh, more based on the fact that I have that I guess part in the fact that I have that excessive personality. And so what he emphasized was go get with your fellow alcoholics, go talk to the new person. Um, and try to share with them what has been given with you, given to you. And by that time, what had been given to me was, uh, I've been starting through working with others and prayer and meditation and through like being able to see the exact nature of my wrongs is that I started to develop periods of silence in between my madness of my thinking. Um, and it's something that was, that alcohol sort of did for me when I was young. Um, when I drank and just everything shut down, all alcohol did was just sort of like 
veil over all my issues. Um, but personally, I don't believe it ever really solved them because when I got sober, here I was stuck with all the same issues. Um, what recovery and uh, and the spiritual awakening has done is silenced those voices. And uh, in my life, like I was thinking about this uh, when when the one lady was talking about, you know, if you want to find out about the traditions, get involved in service and and trial and error it. Uh, as much as I want to like wring my sponsor's neck some t- some these last couple years because I think he you know acts off the off the map sometimes, what he did for me was really lay the the, the framework for a beautiful life because he he shared his experience and I woke up to find you know to quote Jerry to find out that I am the eyes of the world that like something else exists besides my thinking, um, but he also laid out for me like the twelve traditions. So as far as like this fellowship growing up about us, we didn't have to make so many errors because we were, you know, because we stand, to put it, you know, sort of uh, cutely, like we stand on the shoulders of giants to get recovered. You know, that the AA as a whole has a huge, deep collective experience that we don't have to remake the wheel. All we got to do is come in here. Shut up, for the love of God, shut up. <laughs> Listen to someone who has woke up, uh, you know, sit, take suggestions, I'll follow some direction, uh, all with love, <laughs> and, and I promise your life will change. It's really that simple. And I'll, I say this all sort of tongue in cheek because I'm sort of that sensitive alcoholic type that if you tell me to do anything, I'm not talking to you for a year. But, uh, if you if you gently suggest that maybe this ought to work better, I may give it a shot, and that's and that's how recovery has worked. Um, you know, the what what he laid out for me was uh, the silencing of the voices and, and the beginning of a life that I couldn't have made on my own. Um, through my best efforts, I've tried to align my thinking with God's thinking or what God's wills for me through prayer and meditation. In service, you know what's my life look like today? Um, let's talk about the outsides, I guess, because uh, that's easier to do. Uh, I thought I was going to be a business administration major. I ended up uh, going into nursing. I went into nursing because I thought I was into hospice. I ended up starting in trauma. Um, ended, you know, graduated four years ago. Uh, again, I'm, you know, I ended up doing the class presidency thing, not because I really cared, because I probably still had something to prove. Uh, got my first job, and uh, and I guess to, to, without mapping out every single failure that I've had in the in uh, the last, you know, whatever, um, I can tell you that as a result of trying to learn from my own mistakes. Uh, somebody was talking about last night is that mistakes aren't really mistakes as much as they're growing opportunities. Um, is that when I can swallow my pride enough to say that I don't know what's in my best interest as far as the trajectory of my life circumstances, um, that I can accept suggestion or help from other people because that's probably the easiest way God works, um, that my life continues to, to get better. Um, I moved back home oh, a year and a half ago. Uh, 
you know, in sort of a mixed bag of motives. <laughs> uh, I've been back in, outside of Philadelphia for that t- since that time. Um, what's my life look like now? Uh, I have a job where I have responsibility that is um, one where, you know, if I were to goof off, people would die. Um, I got accepted into, uh, I was laughing what, uh, that he said, my job now, go, you know, go figure is that I sell drugs. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm, a, uh, I'm starting a program here in the beginning of September where my job is going to be strictly about administering drugs. Um, you know, I don't know if, uh, if, I don't know if that frightens anybody else, but it does frighten me a little bit at times. Uh, I have people in my life that don't, that, that give, that care about me, not because of some sort of, uh, BS image that I try to portray to them. That they can see me for who I really am, which is someone who tries through, um, through that power that's no longer alcohol, but a spiritual awakening, to try to treat people good, to try to pe- try to treat people in my family. Uh, that's a hard one, um, just because I'm so busy. Uh, try to treat people that uh, my loved ones, my friends, people I sponsor, you know, try to treat people a- as well as I can, but also see me for my big shortcomings that I have, which are many. Um, what else? Um, you know, that's that's pretty much what my life looks like these days. You know, I, I work and go to school and spend time with my girlfriend and sponsor people um, and stay involved in the fellowship. I'm still a member of a home group. I'm still part of a home group. Um, but I guess to me, like, there's been a couple times in 10 years where my life, where I'm like, God damn, it's never been so good. Um, usually when those words get uttered, you've got about a three-month uh, fuse before that runs out and I'm end up being, you know, on the phone crying to one of my friends, um, literally. I think the, you know, and, and I'm not so, I guess, arrogant to say that, you know, I've outgrown all of these major shortcomings that I've had because I know that for me, it feels like I've made a lot of two step forwards, one step back. Um, but I do know today that something has changed inside me in the last couple of years is that I get to be part of this world in a way that, like, I, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm capable and, and, and empowered to do. But I don't also, um, 100% of the time live for this world. And, um, to me, that's a big, that's a big piece of growth because, like I said, every time I've ever gotten a good job or been with a, person I care about or had the applause of my family or fellows, I usually burn my, burn my life to the ground um, because that becomes, for lack of a better word, my God. You know, the, there, there is something to be said about, uh, you, know, sir, you know, you get to only serve one God. You know, serving one God, you know, it's got nothing to do for me about, like, praying to idols or anything weird like that. It's got to do with the fact that I get to serve either this certainty that my life is not my own and that this is getting unfolded in a way that if I participate in it becomes a beautiful and always good thing that other people flourish from and just is like so, so on point. Or I get to serve my attachments, which is I believe that things have to go this way. Um, 
and I become slave to the emotional turmoils that come when things start maybe not even go, like, looking like they're going to go my way. So um, I don't know. Uh, like I said, I've, I've kind of, I'm sure I've gone everywhere. I usually do. But uh, if you're new, here's the conc- in conclusion. <laughs> if you're new, um, and this is your first time in Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous can, uh, the practice of the program aided by the support of the fellowship, can remove the obsession to drink. Um, it can make you, your shoulders drop and, and, and feel like you're part of the stream of life. You can feel the rhythm as things go. Um, if the trick is to surrender to the flow. <laughs> um, if this is your fifth or tenth or twelfth, or you can't even remember how many times now time here, the good news is that the practice of the twelve steps aided by the fellowship can remove the obsession to drink and let you feel part of the flow. That this is not about some sort of information that is new to us and you're just missing that last piece. Um, For me, it's all about am I willing to put my gloves down and stop fighting and stop trying to make things go my way? Uh, Am I convinced that my way doesn't work? Um, And when I do, I take action that I don't necessarily believe in all the time. <laughs> like, I don't understand why it works. Um, but when I take it, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I couldn't do this myself. I couldn't have made this happen. Um, so anyway, now I'm done. But I wanted to thank you guys for having me come out. Uh, thank you, Mark and Todd, for coming down with. Uh, you're better men than me. <laughs> I've done a lot of trips in AA. Uh, but usually... Uh, Usually I don't just say, okay, let's go. You know what I mean? So I applaud you for that. Um, Thank you guys for putting on this, and I'm done. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.